Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Until I think when Womb came along, right, when the, the designer, Christian, they were expecting to have their first child and very excited. Like he's a cycler, right? And I get to buy my kid their first bike and quick realization that there wasn't that on the market, something that was designed just for them. And so that's what they did. I mean, so much before the product was even made, it was, okay, what's the children's anatomy? How are they learning things down to, you know, our, um, our breaks, having the, you know, the, the green and the red, like all the things taken in consideration of how children learn, how their body works, what they need to make this experience a really enjoyable one and one that they're not going to get discouraged by. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start, a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, check out empoweredcx.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you. Well, my guest today on the Delighted Customers podcast show is April Opersteller. And April is going to be a little different guest. And I'll tell you why, because she is the first guest that I've had in a whole bunch of episodes, around 50 episodes, that actually works for an organization that makes a physical product. Um, it's been interesting. We have the CX experts, thought leaders, authors, professors, and so forth. And I'm excited. And the product is a fun, unique, mission-oriented product. And we're going to dive into that. But before we do, April, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and uh, visit about two of my favorite things, customer experience and employee experience. So excited to dive in. Perfect. And you are, I want to get that, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but um, you are, you came through Yeti. So I want to talk a little bit about Yeti because that's a really interesting brand. And, um, and you are right now like the global CX leader at Womb which yes. is a manufacturer of children's bicycles, yes. uh, which is really interesting. And um, you you oversee both customer experience and employee experience. Is that right? 
That's right. Yeah. We made the decision, a very intentional decision to combine the both. And so technically my role is, you know, leading the experience function of the organization. So putting the the people at the center. Right. So tell me, tell me, tell me um, how, what led up to you getting that position and um, how you evolved over from Yeti to Boom. Yeah, absolutely. It's always, it's always so fun to look back in that retro, you know, the journey that you've been on. So I, I joined Yeti, I'm in 2015, I believe, and uh, joined when it was pretty much at that stage where it was that really big, you know, started to scale up and um, extreme growth. So hyper growth stage, adding on a lot of people, selling a lot of product and really figuring out our footing of how to show up in this new season. Um, it was also, of course, a beautiful company that started out of, you know, with two brothers in a garage and this idea to bring a product to the market that just wasn't there. There simply wasn't, there wasn't this product on the shelf yet. So I joined on their sales team and that's the, the background that I came from. And so on their inside sales team and getting to work directly with the independent dealers. Um, and I mean, it was chaotic and amazing and magic. And it's exactly the type of environment I love to be in, that building stage. Um, so got to join and be a part of that magic and that really that hyper growth season. And then throughout my time in sales, I had the opportunity really where we were set up our desk where literally it was a sales, a sales row and you know a customer service row. And we alternated. And through that setup, I was able to hear, right, all of our team members who were supporting the direct customer, I was able to hear their conversations. And I recognized, I loved having my sales conversations, loved talking to my dealers and getting that product out there. But I was very much drawn to what that next row was saying to my left and my right. And so every opportunity, of course, there was emails to be answered from our customer service team. They were completely, you know, it was busy. And they would always be looking if anyone wants to stay an extra hour, come in this weekend, help with those emails, help with those phone calls. I was the first to jump in. Um, and through that organic you know, shift, I just fell in love with the opportunity to really connect directly to the customer. So when the opportunity arose to lead that team, I very happily said yes and made that shift from sales to service. And, um, and from there, it was a whole other season of growing that beautiful team and the services that we had to offer. So that was my journey at Yeti. And the last stage, it was really building out what customer experience, shifting from customer service to customer experience, building in things like the voice of customer. How does that play a role into it? Building things in like order management and customization. And so slowly things kept coming underneath that customer experience umbrella. And what we saw, of course, the impact of that is the more areas that you had the customer at the center, the better that end, you know, impact was in the experience for the customer. So um, I loved every moment of it. And I would have happily stayed there longer if it wasn't for a knock on that door of a very intriguing offer of a very similar stage of business, right? Of Yeti was that, you know, five years before of hyper growth, a magical product, and a really 
you know, owner and a CEO who was obsessed with getting it right when it came down to customer experience. And uh, so I said yes to that opportunity and jumped on over. So, right. And how, excellent. And how long you've been at Womb? I've been here for three years. So, okay. Um, so okay. yeah. And about halfway through, that's when we merged customer experience with employee experience. So it's been a fun ride. Well, neat. Um, so, the, and it's an e company, and the mission is to create products of such exceptional quality that they provide children and their parents with unforgettable experiences. Our hope, says the mission, is that children who experience these magical moments on their bikes will grow up to be adults who regularly ride their bikes and become ambassadors of the transport revolution. So mm-hmm. what, what was the white space that womb filled for what I understand is called the Wombsters, the Wombster Nation? Yes. Yes. Our Wombsters. I mean, I think, right. It, it's similar, similar Yeti, right. The idea of um, creating this product out of a garage, right. By two brothers and a best friend. And really that white space was, you know, prior to it really, children's bikes were very much viewed as shrunken down adult bikes, Mm -hmm. right? It's just a smaller version. The the bike has been created and it's beautiful. And we just need to make a smaller version for the kiddos. And then also with that, right? Kids grow fast and they aren't sure if it's going to, they're going to stick with cycling. So the amount of attention that went into the quality of the bike just wasn't there. The margins weren't there. The quality wasn't there. All the things, right? There wasn't a really big motivation to invest in a high quality children's bike until I think when Womb came along, right? One of the designer, Christian, they were expecting to have their first child and very excited. Like he's a cycler, right? And I get to buy my kid their first bike and quick realization that there wasn't that on the market. Something that was designed just for them. And so that's what they did. I mean, so much before the product was even made, it was, okay, what's the children's anatomy? How are they learning things down to, you know, our, um, our breaks having the, you know, the, the green and the red, like all the things taken in consideration of how children learn, how their hmm. body works, what they need to make this experience a really enjoyable one and one that they're not going to get discouraged by that all went into the bike. And, um, and of course the weight of the bike, right. These clunky, clunky children's bikes before that I know I grew up in Mm -hmm. with training wheels and very, very heavy. Um, these bikes are 40% lighter and kids can be Mm. confident on it. So that was the space. It was that high quality children's bike that was specifically designed for the children riding it. Um, and that's really been at the core of all of our product innovation. Well, it's interesting you mention um, the way you describe the bike itself and the and the way it was designed. Uh, it reminds me of a couple of different products. And most of when we talk about um, customer experience, experience design, employee experience, you know, we're, we're talking about the experience, and in many cases, things like financial services. Um, there really isn't a physical product. They're really talking about the way they interact with things. Could be a could be a, a laptop, you know, an interface, a website. Um, in the case of employee experience, similar things. You know, there's not really a, a specific product. In this case, we have a product, and I think about products like um, 
the way you described it, I like the Keurig machine, right? Before mm-hmm. Keurig, you had Mr. Coffee and you had uh, big filters and grains and they still exist, I guess. And, you know, where you buy the grounds, you pour them in, you, you make a pot yep. pretty much. You could make one cup, but really you're making a pot. You, you, you might as well make a pot. <laughs> And then you pour a cup or two and then you're cleaning the carafe, you're cleaning, you're removing the filter, throwing it away, buying the filters, throwing out the grains and cleaning, cleaning up the machine. Um, And if you had guests over and somebody wanted decaf or somebody wanted a flavor or someone wanted a chai tea, you got to make another pot. And so Keurig came along and made the single cup serving model that has no cleanup required or you know, every mm-hmm. six months or whenever you do that and really design the experience based on the way people ideally wanted to use them. And that's yes. exactly what you describe with this bike mm-hmm. is, is it's class. If, if, if you're listening to the, the episode today and you don't have either a customer experience or an experience design background, um, what April just described exactly how she described it is how do kids use things? How do they th- think about things. How do they learn? What do they like? You know, Mm -hmm. what are some, some models that um, like green and red and the fact that it's, it's light. um, That is classic experience design. Well done. Totally. Yeah. You nailed it. And it's, you know, it's so funny because I think we overcomplicate it sometimes, right? Mm. It's, we say meet our customers where they're at and you know what our customers need and make a product that you know, that does that. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what we are doing and we're choosing not to do, right? And that's that choice. We have every single decision we make, every single strategy we build, right? We can choose whether we put that customer at the center or not. Um, and so we are intentionally trying to continue to put that customer there. All right. So now tell us about the company. Tell us about um, you know, a little bit about the, the, the demographic, the profile of the company, and then particularly, how do you, how do you go to market? How do you, how do you distribute the product? Yeah. So we are, so we were founded in Austria. So Vienna, Austria, um, that is where the company was founded at. And then it came to the U S the year after. And so, you know, the main areas that we serve, of course, is North America and Europe, um, with the goal to continue to expand to continue to, you know, reach new customers, um, so we are very much, we're split up that way as well. So we have, you know, two thirds of our team in Vienna and then the other third here in Austin. Um, and, and so we are, you know, we made that merge a couple of years ago and even that just from the, you know, the, the, the employee experience side and that merger and figuring out what works and what doesn't work has been quite the journey. Um, and so, but yeah, that's where our team is at and we have, you know, a little, I think we're right around that 240 mark, you know, of, of team members and that get to show up every day and support this magic that we are doing. And how we get our product to the world also um, kind of varies on the different regions that we serve. So mm-hmm. when we started in Europe, we went more of that traditional, you know, multi-channel route. So distributors, independent dealers, as well as D2C. And um, over in U.S., we are almost 100% D2C, so 100% e-commerce. With the expansion of offline we're doing this year, um, but the intent behind the U.S. and the why behind the model is, you know, Matthias is one of the brothers and 
you know, the founder for um, us here in the U.S. is he knew how important it was to react quickly. And we knew this was a, I mean, selling a children's bike that cost, you know, triple the amount that you typically would see through a website was unheard of 10 years ago, right? With the the pandemic, it's become a little bit more common, but it just wasn't back then. Hmm. And we, so knowing that, we wanted to be able to create that funnel to hear directly from our customers. And Matthias, of course, he'll, he has many stories of, you know, on a Saturday when he's mowing his lawn, that cut his cell phone was the customer service line. You pick it up and he would figure out how to solve that customer's problem. But also that would then go and implement some kind of change that we would do based off that. So, um, so that was very intentional for that first decade of us being here to be able to have primarily a channel where we can connect directly and react quickly. And then we'd also apply that feedback to our full organization in Europe as well for product innovation, how we're showing up for services, et cetera. So um, in the U.S. here, it's it's all all over the web, and in in uh, in Europe, it's multi-channel. What what's the split? Is it fifty fifty of what gets purchased through um, online? Yeah, so I mean, here almost one hundred percent online, yeah. and then about twenty five percent over um, in Europe. And so we have a really strong partnership with the dealers that we sell through, and our wholesale partners over there. So I was going to ask you from a from a CX standpoint, how do you measure success? How do you measure uh, n- not so well? Yeah, I'll ask you success in general, but particularly how the customer experience is going. Yeah, so we, I mean. A couple of years ago, right when we we merged and we built out our customer experience function, we very intentionally early on, right, and this started in the U.S. We were a team of forty. A couple of years ago, we create a function for voice of customer, <clears throat> and so because we knew that measurement to keep that gauge was going to be critical. So while we were tracking customer satisfaction score, of course, you know, through our um, our communication platform, taking that you know, two steps deeper into what we were measuring, what that feedback was, how we were doing. So some of those key measurements, of course, are going to be your standard, your CSAT score, um, your NPS score, you know, which we measure in all the different areas as well. Of course, the response time and how we're servicing our customers. But I think what's also a really big part of, um, I think a unique part is our continuous improvement like how we're doing with continuous improvement. So any actions taken out of those insights directly, whether it be from that post-purchase survey, um, through CSAT comments, through the MPS comments, what things are we putting into action um, and we're following through and then we can also measure the impact of those. So that's also a part of how we're measuring, how we're doing with this thing. Okay, excellent. And and let me back up, and then I want to ask a question about continuous improvement. Yep. So um, you mentioned two hundred and forty employees. You sh- you shared the de- dem- demography or demographics, um, and where where headquarters is. Um, I assume it's still private, a privately owned. Yes. Privately mm-hmm. held. Is, is there a, is there a, a stated goal of going public one day? I think we want to leave it open. I mean, we want to grow. Uh, we want to grow on who we reach. And I think you know, that there's several different avenues that we can take with that. And I don't think we're opposed to any of them. Um, and we'll continuously evaluate, okay, what does that next step of growth and impact look like? And then what strategy is going to best support um, not only us getting there, but it allows us to get there with keeping 
you know, our values and how we're trying to run this business at the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine being able to, but you, you're small enough at 240 employees to be able to use VOC and other customer feedback to be able to make changes mm-hmm. without going through a lot of as much red tape as you were if you were much larger. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, we know this, right? It's, it's people process and systems. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, with Getty, you know, be able to support through their IPO and, there's different structures you have to put into place. And um, I think there's definitely still a way you can be a public company and have an agile you know, structure that allows you to move and react as you need, but it certainly takes different approaches. Yeah. So t- tell me about how you collect the data, particularly, I mean, I, I guess you're going right to the consumers mm-hmm. on the web purchases when you're dealing with dealers and, and others, how are you, are you just asking the dealers their experience or how, how does that work? Yeah, currently that's exactly what that is. I mean, we use the same platform for communication, you know, to be able to communicate with our dealers and, you know, building out those dealer surveys and knowing what their experience is. It's, I mean, it's coming through the same funnel as our direct customer feedback is. Um, one of the things, of course, we're looking at, and it's on the roadmap I, uh, for this year, and I'm excited about it, is to continuously build out ways that we can further engage with our customers, even if they didn't purchase from our website, like our, you know, having our, our customer accounts and you know those clubs and those loyalty programs, um, to be able to further, you know, kind of tighten that communication track with them, but. We look at our dealers, we look at our distributors as, I mean, those are our customers as well. And so knowing what their experience is just as critical as that end customer. Yeah, you know, um, you just made me think about when you talk about the VOC and using the feedback, probably um, both the quantitative and qualitative feedback, right? Are you, are you, have you thought about, uh, this is something that um, best practices, I keep hearing from people who come on my show in particular, uh, about co-creation, about customer co-creation um, it is, you know, really having like observing the kids or having the kids themselves talk about what they love to see. Oh, yeah, I love that. And absolutely. I think mm-hmm. right now, you know, as far as how we structure it, it's more on the organic side. I mean, just for an example, a lot of our team members, right, have kiddos. And this mm-hmm. last, we're, you know, it's an earlier stage on a, a product innovation. And we had them come to the office and I mean, bless it. They tell us all, they tell us the truth. They tell us what they like, what they don't like. And, oh, I don't like that color. What are you thinking? And so I think definitely from that organic side and in, in internal, and that's absolutely the goal to continue that and build out that strategy um, that I just don't, I don't think there's any other way we can do it. It's, you know, pushing up against the people who are going to use it. So. Well, you, you've been there, uh, April, three years now. And, and I know in the life of a CX pro, uh, three years is, <clears throat> is not a lot of time, really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's just enough time maybe to get a baseline on certain things down. And maybe if you're lucky, compare it, you know, once to what the original baseline was, but not much more than that. But I, I, I'm wondering what are you, when you think about what you've accomplished so far, Mm-hmm. Um, e- either in the design of the bicycles, the distribution, 
in terms of the experience, what are you most proud of? What, what, what would you say in terms of outcomes? Is there an example of something that's changed because, because of the work you and your team did? It's a great question. And you are spot on. It's not a lot of time. And it is very much, you know, that, that first part of it, we know those first couple of years, it is establishing baseline, especially if you walked in where there just wasn't that foundation set yet. Right. Right. So that was a big part of it. Um, and I, I mean, I think probably the piece that I'm most proud about is that with that voice of customer, I mean, it is everything that went into it, right? Not only from setting up the platform to having the ability to collect that information, to be able to distribute that information, to we're really close to having that information be self-serviceable. In some ways it already is, and we want to get better and better. So anyone in the organization can grab it. And sharing out that link and saying, here's what the you know, MPS information is coming in. This is specifically what the areas they're mentioning, assembly and quality. So those teams can go and grab and build it in. I think that's a huge, huge accomplishment. Um, and then also just for the team, they are, they're a part of that, right? As far as um, not just what the customer is saying directly, but how they're inputting, why those customers are calling us or emailing us. Um, they've, it wouldn't be possible to get this level of data without them investing that time and being intentional and supportive with it. And so, um, yeah, so I think those two things are huge and it's really laid a big foundation of how we can continuously make sure that we can build in that voice of customer in our strategies. So, so if you think about, um, I'm thinking about like either the, the bicycle itself, you've got everything from... You mentioned the weight of it, but you've got safety issues. You've got mm-hmm. packaging to get it out there safely. Um, what's changed o- over the last you know year or so as you think about the the way they experience you know receiving or using the bike? Mm, I mean, I think the receiving of the bike is a big one, even from just the outside of what our boxes look like. That was I mean, that was really built on. Okay, what is this? This is a moment. This is a really, it's a beautiful moment that we can really expand on and create one of those magic moments. And so if you order, you know, order our product, you, it has this very insane happy childhood, um, you know, inside here. And then also on some of our products, it also has things that are cartoon characters that the kiddos can color. Um, and, and so those are things that went into based on you know, the feedback from our customers so aside from just the simply, which is also very intentionally simple, um, and we had children test out trying to build their, you know, their product and how long it would take them and could they do it with the Allen wrench. But it's those, I think it's between the practical piece to it and then also some of those magic moments that have been created based on that feedback as well. So those are a couple of things just from that, you know, the, the wow moment of getting the product that have been improved based on the customer feedback. Is there anything um, when you think about the the experience of receiving it? Um, and I'm thinking about Joe Pine is a recent guest of mine on the show, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called The Experience Economy, and that came out of some earlier work he did on mass customization and this idea mm-hmm. of individualization of the product. And I guess they get to choose the size, the color of the bike, do they get anything like with their name on it? Or is there anything that's more unique that they get to select that personalizes it for them? 
Yeah, we used to do where they could order their name plates. Um, And that's something that we want to continue to do in the future as well. And I think you're spot on. That's that next step that, um, you know, allowing them to really customize their own experience. So we have the helmets, we have the gloves, we have the Nebos. They can, from that color standpoint, that's really our primary way to customize you know, at the, the, the end product and not just the bike, but the full gear, um, which is great. And that's also, I mean, from that color perspective, it's, it's very, and it's an emotional tie. We see that from that repurchase rate, you got that, you know, wound one in yellow, we see that wound two is going to be in yellow as well. And so once kiddos find that color that they really enjoy, they tend to stick with it. So that's some of the ways, but we want to continue to explore that because we also, that's that next level we'll meet our customer where they're at. Yeah. So you're, you're adding more value into the product. So bicycles mm-hmm. have been around for a, a long time, a couple hundred years. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, but, but you're really, you know, adding some value, going after a niche um, and, and not discounting at all. You're, you're just shared your sale, sold it for, you know, triple than mm-hmm. sort of the average is um, are you at liberty to share sort of the either the revenues or the number of units or in any, any increased numbers? Yeah, for sure. I'll stick with maybe units. And this was it was a big milestone moment for us this past year. We had surpassed the one million mark of bikes sold, and mm. so you know uh, we used to just always say loosely to make millions of children love to fall in love with cycling, right? A part of our mission, and so it was pretty cool whenever we were like that's actually happened, you know, that, that milestone has happened that we have impacted a million, you know, a million plus kiddos. And so, um, so that's a, that's a, that was a big deal for us for sure. Um, and then for growth rate, I mean, you know, we have, it's been hyper growth pretty much since day one. Um, of course, with the pandemic, we were shooting up in those 150 and 200%, you know, growth rates, um, and now it's normalizing, you know, back into that steady, healthy, um, consistent growth as well. So it's been it's been a um, definitely a, a plane ride since the get go with it. And and what what is next for you yes. guys? What what's on the drawing board? Like I say, what's not next? And because I get a question all the time, you know, are you going to expand into adult bikes? You know, or would you know? The, the type of bikes that you're selling. And that's, that's a no. We are, you know, we started as a children's bike company and want to continue along that. Um, and so, you know, this last year was a really big year. We launched our urban bike and now we have, you know, our, our road bike, our original bike that you, know, you ride on the street, your mountain bike that you can take more in the hills for the e-bike, for the kiddos that are going the longer distance, especially with their parents, and then our urban bike. And so, those were really big steps for us as far as the product itself. And um, and so that next stage is going to be a little bit less in regards to, you know, a ton of new waves of different types, but it's how we're reaching our customers who are reaching and then also the services that are coming along with it. So that's within our direct focus right now. Innovation will always be at the, the core of everything we do. So that team is specifically always looking ahead um, but for the immediate future, it's really expanding the, the customers that we're serving. Neat, neat. Well, really, really interesting. Um, loved, loved the conversation. Let, let's just finish up with talking about the employee experience there. 
um, at, at womb, because I imagine you mentioned innovation. It, it's, um, it's an innovative company, even though it's a old product category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, you know, are you, what's your strategy around EX and, and what kinds of things are you doing to attract and retain the best talent? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that it's the same as our customers, right? It's meeting our people where they're at. And um, that's our approach for EX as well. Knowing that we are very intentionally trying to build this diverse table of Um, People with different superpowers and different talents and different perspectives and backgrounds. And I mean, that is, that's an intentional part of our strategy and how we optimize this environment in which they operate in. That's also a part of it. And what it's not, it's not one size fits all. And so that'd be way too simple, right? And we know that just like serving our external customers, you can't just do it through one channel and one way. It's really that multiple approach. And it starts with getting to know our people and the ways that we can best serve them. And um, so a lot of the practices that we do for our external customers, we do for our internal customers. And um, we ask them to hold us accountable for it, you know, and they give us feedback. We act on the feedback. If we don't act on the feedback, they, they say, hey, what's going on with that? Remember we said we want more of the learning development opportunities or want to have, you know, um, a more flexible office experience. I mean, they're telling us what they need in order to thrive at Womb and to bring their best selves, their whole selves to the table. And so it's up to us to act on it. Or if we say, hey, we hear you, but we aren't able to act on this right now, that's also our responsibility to tell them that. So that's, that's how we approach EX and, and, you know, our retention and our engagement, all those things, I think are a really big reflection of that. Um, we're honest, we are not perfect at anything we do, um, but our intentions are there in order to put them at the center. And um, that's that will remain the strategy with it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your humility uh, and realism around it. It's, it's a hard market and now to attract and retain any employees in any industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it's, um, it is. And that I think it's that continual, like not taking it for granted about what our retention rate is and um, what that engagement rate is. And it's, it's, um, I know how tough it is out there. And for us, it's just a matter of continuing to show you who we are and create the space for them to say, this is who I am. And this is how I want to contribute to your mission and your vision and, you know, continuously investing and honoring that space for them to come and show up. And um, yeah, so we'll keep that at the center of it. Is there anything you do with employee onboarding that exposes them to your, to the work that you do? Definitely. Yes. I mean, so one fun part we do, you know, the first couple of days onboarding, it's pretty intense. But there's a continual longer term onboarding, you know, over the next three months. And um, a part of that is they get to build a bike um, and they have a little contest with it. So just really knowing what our customers go through, they are doing it and it's great. And um, we have fun little rewards. You can do it the fastest, et cetera. So it's hands on with our product um, and our amazing uh, global CX leader. She also incorporated that in some of the interview processes, which I thought was a wonderful idea as well. Um, so hands on the product. And then, um, of course, just hearing the voice of the customer, you know, and that's not just within onboarding, but it's also ongoing. 
We have CX days where anyone in the organization, come on, come sit with us on phone calls, answer some emails. We just had you know, a, a couple of weeks ago where we had expected higher volume of emails and come sign up, we'll get you all ready to go. And they were interacting with the customers. So it's um, definitely a part of not only onboarding, but just life at womb. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I love that. Uh, build, a, build a bicycle. Oh, yes. Yes. They give us great feedback. It's fantastic. It's like, have you thought of this? So um, yeah, it's all sorts of different channels to get that feedback, but hands on the product is important for sure. I, I think it really is that whole um, walk through the journey of a customer mm-hmm. for every employee to try and get a sense of, and not only that, the kind of work that your your group is doing is listening to employees, listening to customers, using a cycle to make it a closed feedback loop and improve improve the product and improve the experience for the for the employees. Yeah, absolutely. And then we know as we grow, right, it gets harder to do that. There's different muscles you have to flex and structures you have to put in place and um, so having that, you know, as far as the awareness of it is, I think it's at the foundation and we'll just continue to say, how do we do it now with this size? Or when we open up another headquarters somewhere, you know, it's, it's as we grow, never letting this escape too, um, too much from that overall strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is awesome. I really enjoyed getting to meet you and, and hear your story. One final question on a more personal level is... <laughs> What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? <laughs> oh, I love that. I think, you know, I've, I've said this before. When people ask me, you know, internally as well, if you could start over, what would you do differently? Um, and I think from the CX world, I would have learned a lot sooner about tying um, customer impact to financials. And that was a skill I just learned a couple of years ago. And it's so valuable because just like meeting our customers where they're at, we have to meet our different functions of the business where they're at, right? And so to be able to do that um, is really key. So it helps us evaluate why we do things, what is the impact of when we do them and the financial standpoint. So I would say get get that financial acumen in the books early. That's what I would tell that 20 year old. Fill all the fields, but um, also having data in numbers alongside the fields is critical. Yeah, that, that's a great one. I wish I had learned it a lot earlier in my career as well. So that, <laughs> that is um, that's great advice. Hey, April, thank you so much for being on the Delighted Customers podcast. It was a pleasure meeting you and hearing your story. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all you are doing in the CX world. I'm loving following all the content in the community that's being built because of it. So thank you for investing in this space. All right. Thanks, April. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. 
And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.